Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis. Um, it's Sunday morning. I'm tired, but I'm midway through a incredibly large cup of coffee, and I'm sitting with. What's going on, Xavier Bergen? Nice to meet all of y'all. I had to uh, clarify pronunciation. Being Australian means that I would pronounce his name Bergen, but apparently it's Bergen. Um, okay, as you guys know, I start every interview the same, but Xavier does not. Um, if you could finish these phrases um, as honestly as possible, I think I feel I need I want, like right in this moment. I think that I need to get my butt up and go run. Okay. Know, I gotta lose some weight. I feel that you know I'm glad that I just got the first print of you know the first comic book. I've ever written, so that's oh. actually really awesome. Sweet. And what's Wait, the last one? I think I feel I need. And um, I didn't do I think. I think that, you know, in this moment, mm-hmm. just had a conversation on Twitter where folks are going back and forth about um, Kendrick Lamar and colorism in the, in the black community. And I'm thinking about how, like, you know, on there, there just needs to be more of a nuance with discussions with people. Especially uh-huh. on that type of stuff. Cool. And what about um, I want? So, in, at the moment, you know, I want to knock out everything I need to do today because okay. when Tuesday hits, man, I'm heading to Alabama. Oh, okay. What are you doing in Alabama? I'm actually going to be speaking at the University of Alabama for a panel on comedy and then, like, talking at their honors day. So, okay, cool. cool. And so, have you done that stuff before? I've done a few panels, panels and things like yeah. that and talking and stuff. Like, I'm not too, too huge on it, you know, just because it's like, it's weird to talk on some of these panels because mm. I get it. Um, the environment working, is formal. Well, it's not It's not so much formal, but it's like, when I think of panels, I think of folks who have, like, had credential after credential after credential under their right. belt. And it's not to say I haven't done stuff, but I'm in the middle period where Why it's Why are you like, being interviewed right now, I guess? Yeah. Have, like, yeah. I'm not no beginner. Yeah, but I'm definitely not established in this industry, and I'm kind of in the middle of trying to figure that out. Okay, but you don't think that something like being selected for a panel is just a sign that, or like a stamp of approval that you you have entered the industry in a more professional way than you were before? Like that's just that's just a moment where right. you're like, oh, cool. I guess I'm. No, I'm I'm happy about yeah. it. It feels good. It does. Yeah. I'm still gonna do it regardless. Of absolutely. course, yeah. But it always makes me think in the back of my head. You know, I can't wait for the day where I feel that. You know, I'm doing this, and can't nobody question why I'm on this. Not saying that anybody can at the sure, moment. Sure, yeah. But you know, it's just it's a it's a place for me of looking at the goals that I want. Do you think that that feeling will ever really go away, though? I mean, in this industry, most people are so riddled with insecurities that, it, like, where we move forward based on the fact that, like, even A-listers never really feel like they've quite made it. Well, the thing for me is, I get. Two big goals. Okay. That's cool. To sell a TV show. Yeah. To write and direct a feature. So until you've done those. Those those are my two things. If I get even one off the ground, mm-hmm. most can't tell me shit. I do every nice. goddamn panel. Yeah, and, cool. You know, I'll be talking <laughs> my goddamn shit. And it's all good. <laughs> yeah. That's all. That's all me. Just goal oriented. Those are my two specific things. So like, yeah. you know, saying like those are two things I want to get at. Of course I'll make more goals. As I get past those, sure, yeah. But um, just for me, not anyone else, but for me, that's that qualifier saying like I've hit a point where everything's. When I'm, when did you articulate those goals? As being when did you like okay, that's what I want, and when I reach those, then I know that like okay, I'm I'm, I'm set in a way. Okay, and not to say that I'm set. Sure, but. But I think, you know, those came... You've met your own standard for like right, what is right. successful. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, I think I came to understand those probably like around the time when I was in USC's film school. I'm starting off mm-hmm. um, there. And, you know, I was going through it. I was, you know, seeing other folks in their journey, what they do. Because you have folks like the pool girl who, you know, two or three years out makes the first feature, you know, it's dope. Mm-hmm. Then you might have on uh, the news name that did Looper. Um, the director. I um, mean, mm-hmm. I think you know, writer director. He went to USC too. Okay. And Warren's were like it's a really good alumni, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah good yeah. amount. But then his thing, his thing is like you know, he did a film maybe like three or four years out, but they're good stuff. But mm-hmm. most folks really, he really came onto the radar around when Looper hit because that was just a damn good movie. I'm sure. And you know, I came to look out and did my research and realized like 
no, he's not no new dude to any of this. It's been 10 years since he's been out of school. Yeah. And then he did Looper. So yeah. It's Just because case. it's their first thing, it seems like they're new, but not really. There's a lot right. of behind yeah, the scenes. Exactly. A lot yeah. of people, like, at some point, if things go good and I push ahead, um, maybe something breaks out. Mm-hmm. I get more known. And folks will be like, yeah, that sensation that just started out of nowhere. It's like, no, it wasn't out of nowhere. It's mm-hmm. been, you know, five plus, seven plus years of like, you know, doing stuff like this. Starting yeah. all the way from undergrad. Okay. And moving to grad school and getting out of grad school and keep on working. You're only like a couple of years out of grad school, right? Just a year and a half. Yeah. So really, really, really fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, in these situations, when you're doing an interview, especially if it's in a professional context, like you're talking about your work, um, have you found that you, even right now, that you're holding back or that you're trying to meet a level of professionalism and you're not just being like, man, it's Sunday morning, like, can we just talk about something else or something more fun? Or do you enjoy talking about this stuff? When it has I enjoy, like a I enjoy talking about everything that's on it. Here's, here's one thing I will say yeah. that I appreciate when I'm talking to folks a lot is, you know, in Hollywood and stuff like that, folks always talking film, film this, film this, TV, yeah, yeah, film yeah. that. And it's like, damn, sometimes like, man, just tell me about what you thought about the game. Right? <laughs> just because, you know, it's yeah. just a constant thing. And one of the things I've always said is if you're a good storyteller, you've had some experiences, some love, something like that outside of film in the first place. Because yes. if you don't have that. Uh, what are you going to talk about? Like, what are you going to talk about in yeah. the first place? Because if you don't have that, then when you begin to speak on things, especially in your work, it's, you're going to pull from somewhere. Yeah. And if you're pulling out of air, more than likely it's going to be stereotypes or... Or film a film about a film like La La Land or Argo or something. And stuff like yeah. that, right. So there is a need to, to have other things. So what's that for you? So the big thing, the big thing for me is like, you know, I write like a motherfucker, like crazy. But the whole thing is like... It's I heard not, that. Have you heard that before? What's up? I was listening to a podcast the other day, the writer of Wild, yeah, Cheryl Lamberg. She was like, her number one piece of advice to people is to write like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Especially when people are like, oh, what do I do? I'm not famous yet. I'm 26. I'm not famous as a writer. Um, and she's just like, just have some attitude. Write like a motherfucker. Right. No, I, I actually haven't heard that. Right. Like, I mean, well, it's something go. that I've, that I've it folks yeah. have said all the time. And yeah. I think what a lot of folks don't realize, too, is writing... Writing doesn't necessarily have to be a script or yeah. a feature all the time. Sometimes okay. it can literally be on social media. Sometimes it can be for you, especially. Yeah. Like for me specifically, it's social media where I'm talking about issues, I'm finding nuance in it, I'm learning new stuff, mm-hmm. I'm telling jokes constantly, I'm yeah. telling stories constantly. Like that's stuff that's honing me and helping. You know, I enjoy it, but voice. refining yeah. what I do. Like Twitter has helped me to understand in many ways my voice as a writer and how I go about things. Is that because you get instant feedback um, through the medium? Two things. Instant feedback and then because that it's, a, it's an infinite resource, mm. um, there's always something to talk about, always something to do, always way to contemplate a story and do things on there like that. So, you know, the things that I enjoy to do, I can do it on a continual basis. Wait, what do you mean by infinite resource? Is that there's just that many people there? Or? Well, there's... The nice thing about Twitter, especially with black Twitter, is that there's always going to be a topic. There's always going to be an issue. There's always going to be something that you can sink your teeth into, whether it be serious, whether it be jokes, whether it be political. I'm it's nodding, like, by the way, to those listening. I feel like an idiot. Like I feel like there's a camera on me and I'm... Anyway, it's like yeah. they can't actually hear me nodding, but continue. Right. So, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, there's, there's all that stuff there. Yeah. And it's just a cornucopia of um, of interesting ideas and thoughts that yeah. you know, are generated continuously, especially by the black community. And, you know, it's just to, to dig into that has helped me to understand myself, mm-hmm. understand my voice, understand what I want to talk about. And it, it makes a difference. Did that start, do you remember when you did a tweet where you got a response and then that sort of set you on the path where you're like, hey, Twitter is my thing. I'm yeah. refining my voice now. Yeah, I think. And it was like, it was, was it more of an accident? Or? No, interestingly enough, if I could point anywhere where, you know, Twitter started becoming more of a primary thing that I used, it definitely happened around the time when I told my third story. Which um, one was that? That was Tina and the Gucci flip flop. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, the yeah. one that just went super viral yeah, and went crazy. And, you know, Did that I, actually happen? 
That was yes, a true story. Yes, that's actually something that. If for those that listening, happened. you guys have to check it out. It's hysterical. Um, what, what's it called again? Tina, Tina and, and the Gucci, Gucci flip flop. If you literally just put it in Google, it'll pop up. Yeah, so. it's very worth, very worth read, worthwhile reading. So you know, I did that. That was like the third story, and just to just to back up for one second, mm. um, the first person that did a story like that that really went big was a black woman uh, named Zola, and it was a, it was a story about you know going down prostitution in Florida. It was crazy. Okay. Franco's uh, company, James Franco's company, ended up picking up that it's story. It's a Twitter story. In a Twitter story. Right. I think they're they're turning it into a feature. Wow, that's and amazing. Crazy stuff. But yeah, shout out to her. Amazing black woman. Amazing story. What was her name? Um, on, on there, she's called Zola Moon. I okay. Believe. But I saw her do that, and I was like, yo, that's dope. That's an interesting way. Because, of course, stories have been done on Twitter. Yeah. Before. Of course, but right. like specifically telling like a nearly a feature based story mm. in a series of tweets was unheard of, mm. and I was like, "That's a great idea." So what I decided to try and do was not only tell you know full out stories on there, but then also incorporate like incorporate videos, incorporate memes, incorporate photos, like you know, and make it a very very um, interactive. Experience, experience, yeah, with and it actually makes it into yeah, literally because you have to click through each one and then you see other people's replies, right? So why do you think you were able to pick up on that? And obviously you had the idea and you had that incredibly funny story, mm-hmm. um, so you had the story to put it in. But why do you think you came up with the idea to use Twitter as a medium in that way versus someone else you went to film school with or someone else on Twitter? Well, I think. The reason why, you know, I decided to go that route, you know, I, I could sit up here and BS and say it's because of genius or anything like that. Yeah. It's well, I mean, hey, of, man, you can claim it if you want. But right? It's out of desperation. Right. Okay. Desperation in the sense that I Interesting. was... Interesting. Yeah. As an artist. You yeah. Mean. Yeah. I was getting out of, I was getting out of school. Um, I was realizing very quickly with USC that, you know, I'm out of here. I can't make films. Mm-hmm on a regular basis as much as I did when I was in there. So I was like, you know, what is another way that I can brand myself as a storyteller, mm. as a creator? Which is also free, if anything. Yeah, yeah. where I'm not breaking the bank mm. every single time to get my name out there. Yeah. And, you know, when I saw the stories, I was like, okay, maybe this is a way. Now, of course, I did not think... There, there's no way to say that, oh, this would have went viral. This would have had me going, you know, gaining, you know, thousands of followers mm. overnight. Nobody could have known that um, by any means. But I gave it a shot and yeah. apparently it worked. Yeah, right. And of course, like, you know, nowadays I might do a story every once in a while. Okay. Um, not as much because I, I submitted myself. People know who I am. Uh, the folks in the industry who are interested in me can see that I have a strong following in what I do. Yeah. So I plus I'm a little burnt out because I'm always working on other stuff. Yeah. As well. So to come back and constantly be doing stories all the time can Do they be, come from real life? Like your real life uh, more conversations often now? Not. Like yeah. any time where I don't have or it's not from real life, yeah. I just say it up front. Okay. I say it up front. But if it is, then you know, I'm gonna let folks know. Now of course do I go in there and embellish? Hell yeah. Because I'm a writer, I'm a director. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, specifically yeah. gonna write and direct this idea. Mm-hmm. Like there's a difference between just word vomiting out a story mm-hmm. and directing a story in the way that you want the audience to um, to take that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's I think that's important with good stories on any medium. But you know, specifically for uh, Twitter, um, it, it makes a, it makes a difference. So. You know, at the moment, I've been using, like, more often than not, having this audience has helped me get into a lot of rooms that maybe if I didn't have it and just had USC in my films, mm. maybe I, I wouldn't have gotten into it. Well, it's a shtick by any, like, and it's also if you tap into some response that people haven't before, then people think that you're, you've got magic, which obviously you do, not in a, like, kissing your ass sort of way. Um... But you said before that it was out of desperation. So it's come up before in a lot of my interviews where I theorize that struggle is some unifying factor in what makes either a good artist or an ability to uh, 
tap into and resonate with audiences. Do you agree with that? Well, it's, do you think it's, that it's an necessary thing to say. I do 100% think that struggle breeds creativity. Cool. Like 100%. Yep. I think that's true. Now, there's a microwave going off in the background, by the way. So, yeah, I do believe that um, struggle does breed creativity mm -hmm. in artists. I think that's true. Now, I won't necessarily say that it's always the best necessity. Should, like, for example, I'm not going to say, hey, man, the art during the Trump presidency is going to be amazing. Yeah. Like, my God. Fuck no. Like, none, none, none <laughs> yeah. of that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know... That's what a lot of people have said, haven't they? Yeah, and that's fucking yeah. stupid. Why is that stupid? It's stupid to me because at the end of the day, I don't put art over humanity. Okay. So, and, and I say that to say that if I have to choose between a great art being made yeah. and a, Life child, just being good. a child dying, yeah. what am I going to choose? Fuck the art. I yeah. want the child to live. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If, and, and, and I'm not. I love the sound say, effects in the background. It's all good. It's like it's yeah. real life. It's happening. It's honest. I'm not going to say that. Uh, how do I put this? That we should. That art doesn't matter, and art is necessarily like you know so beneath humanity. But I do think that like if I'm gonna have to choose between like the majority of my people, especially black people, especially marginalized people, living a better life versus needing to you know struggle mm. or having to deal with the presidency that is it's a bit of a mix that's yeah that's yeah. openly trying to like kill me yeah i know which one i'm gonna choose i know which one is more important and you're obviously your stories came out and your voice as an artist was refining before he became president yeah so it's not yeah it's not and, and it's, and your, your success is not contingent on on that on right and it's sucking politically. right and it's not to say that everything is perfect under the Obama presidency. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's still a lot of problems because, you know, how our government is set up, especially white supremacy, especially with structural racism, mm -hmm. there's going to be problems whether or not a black man or a person of color is in a position of power. Mm -hmm. It's how things are set up here. But there is a difference between, like, Obama presidency and then Trump where it's, like, it's very blatantly and then far more antagonistic. But yeah, have you noticed in day to day life how it's different for you? I think the thing is has the nice thing is because I'm a uh, I'm a U.S. citizen. Uh huh. Um, even though there's a lot of problems, you know, with black folks that I've dealt with throughout my life, you know, those problems have still been here. What I've seen more often than not has been like, you know, friends or family who are undocumented, okay. or who don't have stuff together at the moment, who yeah. are more in that fearful nature, you know, at you know right now. Right. But I think that's the thing that a lot of folks don't realize is when it comes to structural racism and stuff like that, is that it's not necessarily that Trump presidency happened and then folks are just knocking on your door ready to like knock yeah. you out and dra drag you out. It mainly is manifested through media representations. Media representation, yeah. a structural hierarchy where they're dealing with folks individually, but yet it still is systematic. Yeah. So if something is systematic... It doesn't mean that just because it is happening that it's necessarily going to be just pound right on your head, uh -huh. but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Does that make sense? Uh, can you give an example? Okay. So, for example, Trump presidency happens, and he has pledged to deport more um, Mexicans. Okay. And, of course, you know, the whole thing is they were still deporting folks during Obama's presidency. Yeah. But they're ramping it up more now. Yeah. Now... I know. I've seen it. There's been, there's, I've been naming stuff like that who talked about ICE. One of my friends is a uh, lawyer who helps undocumented folks dealing with ICE. My writing partner, where she lives at, mm -hmm. when I go into that place, I literally see flyers up telling the, uh, the, 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 the Latino residents, Latino and Hispanic residents, here's what to do mm -hmm. if ICE comes to your door. Right. Okay. And, Scary about chills. Right. Yeah. So it's a systematic issue that is happening to people. And even though I am not specifically experiencing it myself, mm. that doesn't mean that it isn't happening and yep. it doesn't exist. Yeah. Sure. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Have you, a little bit off topic, but in the same area, either recently or while you're at film school, especially, and just, we don't have to say it about it in the reference to the industry, but what is the most. 
uh, backhanded racist thing that's ever been said to you? And do you still, or is it just like, it's like a white ignorance, a white privilege? Is I think... That's the, sort of on the, on the like, um, the election of Trump can be attributed to like the white man's last attempt at sort of retaining, you know, um, no, their no, relevancy. I, I, get, I, get, I get what yeah. you're saying. Like one of the things they talk about, I don't remember the book it was, but they brought up how a lot of times when a certain amount of um, hate or an ideology, fascism or yeah. republicanism or like, you know, really diehard conservatism, like on a very ultra racist level mm. is finally like kind of dying out. There is like that, that pushback. final spike of it before mm-hmm. you get over to the hump. Right. And folks don't realize that that hump can be 10, 20, 30, 40. You don't know how long that hump yeah, is. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, but it's a hump. So I think hopefully this is what that means, mm-hmm. but you never know. But going back to your question, I think the most the interesting thing, you know, when it comes to Hollywood, it's not necessarily that someone has said something to me that's racist in my face. Anybody's walking up to me and saying the N-word or anything like that, you can knock the fuck out. Mm-hmm. But it's been more so folks expecting labor for free. Okay. Or undervaluing what I bring specifically to the table as a creator. Compared to your white counterparts. Compared to white counterparts. Interesting. That like, sucks. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. one of those things where like, another reason why the whole social media thing and doing all of this extra stuff yeah. to boost myself is because, ironically, this puts me on a level, on probably maybe the same level, uh, level playing field as my white counterpart who does none of this stuff. Yep. It's a similar argument to how women need to try a bit harder than men. It's just... Yeah, it's one of those uh, things, like, you know, with that, and I always say this, like, you know, as a black person, you have to work twice as hard to get half of what your white counterpart receives. Now, of course, I'm not saying that's individually on every single instance, Mm. but on a systematic level, there is some truth to that. So, for me, you know, I was like, I need to find other ways... Where I can get my name out there. I had friends at SC, and I love them to death. They're mm-hmm. great people. They get out of school, they ask mom and dad for ten or twenty thousand dollars, yep. and they go make their next film. Mm-hmm. Or another one goes overseas with a you know couple of milli and makes their feature. Or another one takes about forty thousand and just opens up. There in a, 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 a film business, right. I think I don't I don't remember what it was, but they they make a film business. Mm-hmm. And though they don't necessarily have any skills in that specific technical part, yeah, they have the money, so they bring all the folks from SU Habit to work under them, right? And again, what's SU Habit? SU USC. Oh, right, school, the school. And again, nothing's wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having privilege and having money Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with it like what i'm talking about is just seeing that disparity of like you know dang you come out of school and you can go ask mom and dad for Mm. 40 50k to make your thing yeah whereas like you know now that i'm out of school trying to make anything even even five thousand dollars for me that's a big budget to knock something. And that's nothing. Yeah. Well, that's a big budget. It sort of is. Like, it is a lot of money for something which might not make a lot of money. Right. You know? So Yeah. So, it again, it's why it necessitates me to find other another, ways yeah. to get my voice out there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, you said, so you said before that desperation or struggle does breed creativity, but it's not necessarily the most important factor. Mm-hmm. What are maybe some others? That you've identified for yourself. Right. I think the whole thing about it is it's really it's really your upbringing. Okay. Um, I think that everyone... Yeah, that's to come up before. Yeah, I think yeah. that everyone has uh, stories and things to tell. And I think that starts with how you're raised. Now, point blank, some people have great childhoods. Some people have terrible ones. But we all have stories and what we went through at that point does um how to put it conceive the individual that you are at the moment sure and more than likely what you did during those formative years will feed into what you um output creatively Mm. 
And again, and the reason why I bring that, like, it doesn't necessarily necessitate. It doesn't have to be the only way to necessitate creativity yep. and struggle. Yep. Is you have a, a child who struggles, and through their struggle, they learn about life, understand things better, and come to have this amazing voice. Mm-hmm. And then you can have a child who isn't struggling, but they're put into constant classes to learn new things. Yep. Whenever they want to try something different and new, their parents allow them to. They're constantly reading books. They're constantly re- watching, you know, different types of educational TV and stuff like that. And through this way and this way, Each you can find are valid or they have are, are valid and find yeah. their own creativity. Yeah. The difference is that this individual who has that powerful background has a far better chance to get their creativity out. Whereas the individual who is struggling, mm-hmm. for every one person who is going through the struggle that you know, comes out of that like a, you know, diamond in a rough and makes it, there is a plethora of folks with creativity who struggle who will never get that chance to be more than what they are. Yeah. It's sad. It Mm -hmm. sucks. Do you have people, do you have friends who have left the industry because of that? I don't, I I definitely don't have friends who have immediately left the industry because You know, for the most part, it's only been five years being out here. Okay. Not saying folks don't give up, but yeah. it might be a little bit longer before I start seeing these folks just dropping Drop like off. that. Yep. But what I can say is I know a lot of homies from back at home, from back in Alabama, from back in Mississippi, who are just funny motherfuckers. They are funny people. Hmm. They are creative people. And had there been someone <coughs> in their house that said, well, not even just in their house, but you know, just at school and different places, like, hey, you have a talent here. Mm. You should try and hone that. Let me help you. Like, I think about all the class clowns and st- dudes who had, like, hilarious jokes. And, you know, the teachers just said, like, they're obstructive yeah. and they don't listen. And it's like, no, it's not the obstructive notes. Listen, is that you have to, you need to give them some other form of uh, stimulation. Of stimulation and education that, you know, helps them because every child is different like you know not every child's gonna love math every child's gonna love english but there's gonna be something there and if you live you at least give them one thing to really latch on to that they love then the rest of those things will probably come up maybe not that much but they might come up if they haven't if they haven't expressed a desire to be a successful creative though is it a loss for them like just because someone hasn't tapped them on the shoulder in the way that a privileged kid might to tell them that they're talented and then they might explore something for a while is it do you think that is a is that is a loss, or be, if, if they're still if they're still ha- if they're happy just now, having that, an awesome personality yeah. and doing a regular if that day person job, is happy, then it's not a problem. Cool with their day job, yeah, and they're straight. You know, they're they're straight. They're they're, they're feeling good about themselves. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's totally fine. I don't say this to say that any of those folks that I know are miserable. Mm-hmm. I say it because there is just a chance if they had have had someone to tap them on the back and say, you're good at this, mm. that maybe they would have given it a chance instead of it letting just, instead of letting it just be a, just a, a, a far off pipe dream. Yeah. Like I can't imagine where my life would be now if, cause it took me a while, but I found this and I, and I got here, but, and I had folks who helped me, but it was, it was only, it took, it was only when I got older. Right. But I can only think what would happen now, if, you know, because I was always smart. I was always going to be fine. I was always going to go to college and stuff like right. that. Like, folks are going to push me that way. Okay. But I can only imagine, like, maybe if I went to engineering, you know, maybe I would have been a doctor, maybe I've done something, like, I've done accounting, mm. and I'm just sitting on the couch there, and, you know, I'm making good money, I'm happy, maybe I got a family, but in the back of my head, I'm always looking at these films and stuff and thinking, like, you know. Damn. Yeah, maybe I could have done that. And not yeah. saying that I couldn't have done it then, yeah. but I'm glad that I pushed myself to at least try. Whereas, and it's cool, I'm happy that I pushed myself to do it. Mm. But I think about so many black and brown kids who might have went my route and been great if they had had someone at the beginning to say, hey, give this a shot. Mm. I've... And from from my experience, I think that I'm just like, I was just a loner at school. So my drive, I haven't quite pinpointed the origin of it, but it's sort of something that I was born with, but also because I've always been like an observer on the outside trying to figure things out. 
you said before you're happy you pushed yourself. Where did you get that push from? Was it your parents or just like you feel like it was just something inside you that you were born with? I mean, when I was a kid, I know how to write. I wrote a lot. Uh-huh. I read a lot of stuff, watched a lot of cartoons and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, I was, but, you know, I didn't have anyone at that moment because my mom and dad were just, you know, trying to make it day to day. Yeah. Uh, that really just said, like, that's dope. Let's keep doing this. But thank God I had a grandmother who okay. was an uh, elementary school teacher. Mm. And because of that, you know, even though we're living in Mississippi, and Mississippi has a lot of problems structurally and educationally, she specifically made sure that I was always in the best classes. Uh, she always chose teachers that she felt were good for me. Okay. And kept on doing so. No matter what, my grandma made sure that I had a very strong educational yeah. foundation. Yeah. And that made a hell of a difference. Okay. Um, but it really wasn't until like in the high school when I started writing back again, like really writing stories. I was like, okay, here's something here that I do enjoy. So it sparked something. And then when I got to college. I kind of just wafted around for a second because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do okay. until I just did this make a movie class in this uh, department called New College. And, you know, just threw us a camera and said, go make something. Right. And we did. And it was bad. It was fucking terrible. But <laughs> yeah. it made me realize, oh, uh-huh. this is a route that I can go yeah. that I could be happy with. Uh-huh. That happened when I was 20. Right. So imagine, I just, sometimes I imagine where I could have been if like at 11 Mm. or 12 or 15, Mm. someone had said, you have a knack for this. Mm. Let's see what we could do with it. Mm -hmm. But that type of stuff just isn't in Mississippi or Alabama. Okay. (coughs) Um, Have you had this conversation before? Like, have you had this, whether in the forums that you've participated in, in an interview uh, on another podcast I saw that you've done, have you have you said these thoughts before or are they somewhat new for you? I mean, I've said, like, in conversations when I, you know, of course, the story of how, like, I came down this yeah. Yeah. I've talked about that. Right, okay. Before, um, I know in conversations with people, I've talked about the whole idea of giving the kids a push. Uh-huh. I know most of the things that I'm saying now is stuff that I've you're like, talked about on Twitter. Yeah, a right. Lot. Like, I yeah. definitely know everything I've said in this one I've spoken on, yeah. on Twitter there because, you know, that's, you know, Twitter for me really is like that stream of consciousness where I'm just, you know, belching out the ideas and thoughts that I yeah. have on a consistent basis. So you were saying yesterday, so this is sort of the origins of this podcast actually is. Um, what I articulated as whether you're, what you were tweeting about yesterday with whether you should participate in conversations or whether you shouldn't and that you also said something like you can be technically, factually and morally correct and still come off like a douchebag. Um, do you think that like being a dickhead seems to come with the territory of us all having a voice on social media? So having an opi- where they're having, do you think where they're having an opinion and being nice and mutually exclusive? I think the thing with social media is because there's like that one piece of disconnect. So it's me. It's not real life. Yeah, it's me and you sitting here right now. Yeah. Like, even if I disliked you, I'm not going to just be like, yeah, you a dickhead. Like, I'm not going to do that. Whereas because. Why not? Because I don't think you a dickhead. Right. But if I I did, in the back of my head, it's like, okay, if I do that, then there might be problems at this point. And maybe we have to come to blows. Maybe. Yeah. Like, there's going to be confrontation. Sometimes confrontation isn't necessary. Right. And whereas, like, with, you know, social media, because there's very few times the danger or necessity of confrontation for what you say, the way that you go about things will tend to be a lot more hostile and a lot more foolhardy and dumb, mm. personally. So, in, in regards to what you're saying with it is, I definitely don't... I, something I've learned on there, and, and I learned this because, you know, I've had times where I've done it right, I've had times where I did it wrong, and I got my ass handed to me. Okay. Like, the, the, the beautiful thing about social media, especially Twitter, especially having a large following, yeah. is that when you're right and you're making sense... Folks will back you up, uh-huh. but when you're wrong or they're people come after you, or or they're just mad at you or they don't agree, folks are gonna come for your head, and you have to have a thick skin about it 
or you won't survive. You survive. Yeah. Nobody gonna come through the screen and hurt yeah. you. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be just fine. Yeah. But it's like you're gonna catch shit. You're uh-huh. gonna catch hell. And that's not the reason why I say don't be in certain conversations and stuff like that. I say that there are certain conversations where maybe you can back up and just listen. But if you're going to be in that conversation and it's a and it's a weighty, nuanced conversation. You just need to be ready. If you make a misstep or you don't understand everything, folks are gonna come. Folks are gonna come after you. Yeah. And there are there have been there are cases in the past where you know I should have left this alone, and I get it and I apologize. There have been cases where it's like, no, I'm not leaving this alone, and I don't give a damn what you say. I'm so gonna say how I feel. What are the recent examples that made you come to those tweets yesterday? So like, um, I think the examples that I was thinking about uh, then was there was a. There was a conversation that was happening around, uh, I think, you know, Africans and African-Americans slash black Americans. Okay. And what it means to have the hyper visibility that African-Americans have. Because if you think about any type of black people Mm. who are probably globally known, Mm. it's more than likely African-Americans because... Not because we necessarily want that, but because America exports blackness. America has the opportunities. Right. America exports blackness for, and it's 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 actually not a good thing. Right. You know, much of what black people do is ingrained within the culture. It usually moves the culture. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think. Jazz being historically. Yeah, like I think black people for a century or more have been what first moves something culturally in America. Mm-hmm. That's get exported out to the world. But the problem with it is that along with the export of the culture, black Americans as thugs, as poverty-ridden, as bad, as scary, also gets exported everywhere as well. Mm-hmm. So even though we do have this hyper-visibility that most folks know us when they think of black folks, there's still, like... It's, st- it's still, it's not, it's not an advantage. It's mm-hmm. not an advantage. So an individual was speaking, you know, about like how, <clears throat> because we're the face, a lot of times black Americans, that a lot of other um, people of the diaspora and then, you know, African people. Diaspora? Yeah. What's, what's you the di- No. So essentially like, you know, when I say, uh, you know, diaspora, it means anyone of African ancestry mm. That um, essentially either was you know enslaved, immigrated, okay. you know, a lot, basically was either left or was taken from Africa. Okay. So folks in Jamaica, folks in Puerto Rico, folks in South America, you know, there's there's black people everywhere. Yeah, and those people are you know people of the diaspora and uh, you say diaspora, you say diaspora, whatever you want to call, it, okay. whatever however you want to say it. But that's when I say that. That's what when I whenever I'm talking about people who aren't, you know, who are of African descent, but aren't necessarily from Africa. In is currently, that's what I mean by people of you know the okay. African diaspora. Um, and the the individual is talking about the fact that like you know we're the face of it, and we. She she specifically felt. That one, we don't do a good job of it. Um, we don't look at all the issues that happen to black people, and it's annoying that you know we are always the face of black folks because you know black Americans are not the one and only arbitrator of what is blackness and what is black people. Mm-hmm. And she is right, that yep. is true, but. The reason why I decided to wade into that conversation, and I didn't even like come after her. I don't believe in coming after her. I wasn't going to go on her social media and begin to talk to her because mm-hmm. I have a following of sixty-one thousand. Mm-hmm. If I come after somebody, they're going to follow. A, a lot of literally. folks are going to follow. Yeah, literally. And I just I don't do that. I don't like doing that to other black people, other people of color, other folks who are regular just doing their thing. Yeah. If you're racist, fine. I'm coming after you. I don't give a damn. Yep. But Past that, I don't. Want, I don't want to do that. So more than often than not, I'll just speak on my own account. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I waded into that one because, you know, I wanted to point out that while you have some correct thoughts on this, you have to keep in mind that uh, that as African-Americans, as black Americans, the hypervisibility that we specifically have, we don't have any say over that. Yeah. If I had my choice, my culture, African-American, black American culture would not be shared with a lot of people. Okay. I don't really want that. I don't right. really care for that. Dilutes it. It's not even about diluting so much as like it's, it's, it becomes appropriation and it becomes misconstrued. Sure. And most black folks systematically in America um, don't receive the benefits that our culture ends up giving to the whole country. Yeah, we don't. Right. We just don't. And the thing I was saying is like a lot of the gripes that you have with black Americans being the, in the forefront, you don't understand that black Americans don't have a choice uh-huh. in that. There's no way for us unless all 13% of us decided to just move, mm. which we can't, and I highly doubt America would let us, mm. is that the things that we do and the culture that we create is going to be taken from us and used on a larger level. And because that happens, we become the face of America a lot of times when it comes to culture on a global level. Yeah. And there's no, there's no way to, to stop that. There's no way to stop that. So it's a case of like, you're mad at the victims rather than the abusers. Yeah. So is an analogy, is this too simple as an analogy for every Beyonce, there's a white corporate guy that's cashing her check? Like the guy behind her? Well... Is that sort of... Well, is, I mean, I'll put it like Beyonce. And one of the cases, of course, there's a lot of folks that make money from Beyonce. But Beyonce, yeah. for the most part now, has absolute control. Totally, of yeah. But I think Pretty a better Beyonce, yeah. example would be the new fledgling artist. Okay. Like the the the, the 17, 18-year-old Beyonce, yeah. if, if you will. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Um, and how, while she's rising up and <clears throat> making amazing music and pushing the cultural landscape, there's a plethora of, you know, of folks behind her, uh-huh. can be of, of any race, green color, but a lot of times, you know, usually white people, yep. sometimes, it, a lot of times it can't even be black men that, you know, civically hurt black women, yep. unfortunately. Yep. But in this, dynamic. Yeah, yep. but, but in this analogy, um, understanding that a lot of times these younger artists who are pushing the cultural boundaries, they will make all this amazing stuff and then it gets exported to all these different places um, in America that use it and make money off it and maybe that artist makes more stuff. Uh-huh. Maybe they fall off the planet. But for every Beyonce, there's a hundred artists who don't, who do push the culture but don't make anything off it and just fall back into obscurity mm-hmm. and then what that cultural relevance that they made, does the money and stuff from it doesn't really come back to them and doesn't really get to send it to the black community. So <clears throat> there's two examples of that. There's Peaches Monroe with the phrase on fleek. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's that Daniel Bird, I don't know her name, the white girl yeah. who um, said, Cash me outside. Yeah, right. So right now, that girl that said, Cash me outside. Is I think Alicia's now a millionaire. Yeah, it's crazy. She's it's disgusting. Getting reality TV shows. Yeah. She's showing up in different music videos and stuff like that. Yep. And basically her her portrayal and her performance of acting like what people think black people act like has garnered her so much money and so much notoriety. Whereas Peaches Monroe this girl who said on Flick, the first one to create it, this documentation of it, you can still go right. back and see the vine. Right. And thousands of companies, corporations, people, rappers, music, all this stuff have used that word. And she and hasn't made a dime off it. She hasn't made a dime. Like the only thing she's done right now, she's done like a Kickstarter. I think maybe she's raised like $5,000, dollars I mean, chills but, from how horrible that is. But yeah. the whole thing is like, you know, Donald Trump's making millions of dollars off of like, you're fired. Yeah, having that thing. Yeah, or her. If someone had been there, maybe helped her to like you know, um, put in the patent. It probably wouldn't matter because folks still from black people anyway. Yeah, but I'm just saying that like you see, Cash Me Outside girl does all that stuff. Does the type of things that usually black women and black girls are just like demonized for. Yeah, and now she's just making 
crazy money off yeah. it. And that's what I say when I mean that, you know, America has a culture set up to take culture from us, rebrand it, put it with a white face, and push it out. Or if they don't do that and they can't necessarily take our face off of it, they make sure as it's branded out that along with us having a hyper visibility and seeing the most, that we also have all these negative stereotypes that come with it. Mm. Do you think that, and this has been the running thought, sort of in the back of my mind for the past 10 minutes. So I was re- I reached out to you on, from a referral, but also because your Twitter is awesome and I just liked your work. But is me being a white guy interviewing now an appropriation of, of black culture? Is that in any way racially systemic? Or because I'm Australian, does it make a difference? Or because I'm giving you a voice? Or because I... Right. And complimenting you by being, you being a guest, like what's what would the well, there's is there a, irony in this very conversation there, we're having? A, there's a lot of intersections, yeah, to, to what it means. I guess that's why I kept on asking what which one does it represent, yeah. right? Um, so the whole thing is like it's not appropriation mm-hmm. for me to talk about to talk with you about these issues, of course, yeah. It would be bad if, like, for example, you just brought on another white person, yeah, and then talked about all of this stuff mm-hmm. as being um, like our thoughts or something right yeah 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 i mean or even if you even i mean even if you were gracious enough to like um source the people who do talk about it it's still two white people you could have gotten that person or a black person mm-hmm. to talk with you about it um and then the other thing with it too is as an australian man like you know if, if we're taking it even farther back yeah. it's like you know, more than likely with everything that's happening right now with immigration and stuff like that yeah. is, I mean, are you, are you a naturalized citizen? Do you no, have a, do no, so, I'm on a visa here. So you're on a visa here. Well, more than likely, you are going to be one of the last people yeah. that's going to get thrown out this country right. if, you know, when, when shit happens. It's, yeah. it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And that within itself is a privilege that, you know, you don't really have to worry so much about ICE and you can come here on your own and chill and sit down with me and talk about this. Yep. Whereas my uh, my neighbors on that side of the street, mm. you know, have to be careful about who they're letting in the house and who they're talking to. Mm-hmm. So you know, in this case, when it's talking like this, no, this isn't this isn't appropriation. Okay. It's not that. Um, but yes, just just the fact that you are white, there is some privilege to you being able to like do this stuff. Do this with freely. You. And do this freely without having to worry about some of the yeah. stuff that other blacker and browner people have to worry about. Yep. And again, the th- one thing I always say is no one is knocking you for that. You can't stop how you're born. Mm. You are who you are. And I'm not even asking you to like, you know, try by yourself to mm. dismantle all the problems. <laughs> mm. But I am saying the least you can do is be open to talk about it mm-hmm. and realize it and that's okay mm-hmm. like you know of course what i want you to do more yeah but if you really start there that, that's 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 a good point in the first place like don't deny the things that are true or feel like you're being slighted or you're losing ground because mm-hmm. these folks black and brown people have more ability to speak up on this stuff and it goes bigger into the whole idea of being an ally mm-hmm. Don't call yourself a fucking ally. You don't get to say you're an ally through a collection of individuals who believe in you, believe in what you're doing. They will come to view you in as an ally, but don't self-identify as that. Is that? Do you mean as a white person? Yes. Supporting black culture. Yes. Being supporting like, black I, culture, yeah. black people. Yeah. Don't come in like. I'm an ally. Like, that's because that's condescending, obviously. First off, it's yeah. condescending. First off, I don't fucking know you. Yep. And I don't know what you've done before. Yeah. So how can you tell me? It's it's like it's like it's like a it's like a man. Yeah. Walking up to a a bunch of feminists uh-huh. and telling them I am also a feminist. Uh-huh. Like dog, you don't get again. Some people may disagree with mm. me, but I don't think as men you get the right to come in and self-identify and tell folks that you're a family. Like, you don't get to do that shit. It's not, even though it's about equal rights and all that type of stuff, you don't get to take their or stuff that they built and just plaster yourself on it. Mm. And that's, in, because, and that's why, like, you know, even though I definitely believe I have feminist ideals, just stuff, a lot of stuff agree with in it, I'm not going to walk up to nobody and be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a feminist 
yeah, I'm a part of it. Like, no, like, you know, stay the fuck in my lane. Yeah. I'll be good. Right. Same with white folks with ally. Stay the fuck in your lane. If you're doing the good shit to be an ally, mm-hmm. folks are going to notice that regardless. Yeah. And the other reason why I say to stay away from that and just do what you feel is right is, you know, with any substance, within black people, within feminism, within, you know, different stuff like that, you're always going to have folks who disagree. Mm-hmm. So one person that views you as an ally and thinks you're doing great stuff, another person that might disagree with how you go about things, how you do stuff, and think you're a racist sack of shit. And who can say which person is right? Now, if you feel in your heart that you're doing stuff and you're listening, then I feel like a majority of folks are going to pay attention to that. But folks got to remember within these communities, um, there is no like absolute golden standard every there, there's in, in in any community you're always going to have differences of opinions yep. different subsets in groups and stuff like that so you know rather than trying to go to each and all of them and treat them like a monolith and just saying you're an ally to all of it mm-hmm. just you know be quiet yeah listen help mm-hmm. and more than likely it will be recognized it will be recognized by certain people and the reason and again and a lot of times, more often than not, if you have an opinion or you're doing something else and folks don't agree with it, some folks won't agree with that and won't care for you because of that. I've had that happen before. And it's not to say that I'm not here to help you, that I don't want to be a part of it. But again, I'm just not going to take a label and just plaster it on myself um, just because I say so. I just yeah. don't think it works like yeah. that. Yeah. Interesting. Um I have so many more questions, but I really need to go to the restroom. I think I feel I need... She's right in there. Go ahead. Um, I think I feel I need, I want. Answer the questions again. Okay. So, I think that I need to get something to eat. Cool. Starving. Yep. Um, I want to let everybody know about the Tina comic book and just how amazing it feels to have like the first... Who, Who would have thought? If I could go back and tell my nine-year-old self yeah. that, you know, I'm a comic book writer. Yeah. He'd be like, you're lying. No <laughs> way. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and then, so I think I need to, uh, I think I want, and then. I think I um, feel and I need. Okay, so I, um, for last minute, do I feel? I feel that I'm just trying to figure out the next step for myself in the case of, I feel like I'm at the door. I feel like I've done a lot of great things. Mm-hmm. And it's only one or two decisions from someone else that, you know, that could like really just have my career go up. Mm-hmm. But I understand that like you can be at the door and that decision that finally gets you off the ground can be uh, next day months or years mm-hmm. in that throughout that time I just need to be doing what I gotta do to keep pushing mm-hmm. so yeah um, and I need did you do I need or I want I did I want I need um, then you need to get see. some food yeah I said I need to get some food yeah and okay for I want did I already say that let me see well right now um you want to tell people about Tina? Yeah, I want, yeah, I want. So I've done, I done, yeah. done all three. Yeah. All good. Okay. All right, sweet. Um, Xavier, thank you so much. Um, you guys should check him out on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle again? XLNB. Yeah. Check out all of his stories. Follow him for future developments <laughs> and um, also his also his shorts. Some of them are available online. Yeah. Some so, of them are on HBO. Yeah. One of them is on HBO. On Time yeah. is on HBO. Okay. And- Odie is still going through the festival circuit. Okay, sweet. Um, I'm incredibly grateful. And yeah, I'll go to the restroom. But until next time, guys, thank you.